This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Tuesday, September the 20th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Another $2 in the fine bucket for me for saying AMI-audio. I can't quit you, AMI-audio. I just can't. I think we're up to 22 bucks in that fine bucket that's going to a charity or not-for-profit by the end of the month. Coming up on the show today, Dr. Sebastien Jodouin discusses DICARP's recent report on the effect of climate change on people with disabilities. You'll hear from accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore. She'll tell you all about the proposed disability support regulation in Manitoba. And there's another edition of the weekly news quiz... As y'all know, I am the quiz master now. I am the captain now, which means I put Karen McGee, Alex Smythe, and Andy Frank to the test. Let's begin the show with our top story of the day. Got these numbers in from Statistics Canada just a couple of minutes ago. New data from StatsCan has been released this morning in regard to inflation. Month over month, the Canadian economy experienced a deflation of 0.6%. However, the year-over-year number remains high at 7%. The decrease in gas prices was the biggest driver of the downward trend. Although you should note that grocery prices rose at the fastest rate since 1981, with prices up 10.8% compared with a year ago. So we'll talk about that a little bit more in our daily poll with Alex and Eliza and throughout the show. And we'll uh, for sure get some analysis to share with you tomorrow from economists. But for now, the big takeaway number is that for the second straight month, there has been a deflation in the cost of living but still a very, very high year-over-year number at 7%. Let's get to some other news. A major United Nations event gets underway today. Karen Rebo looks ahead. The Prime Minister finds himself in New York City this morning after arriving last night from Queen Elizabeth's state funeral in London. Trudeau is in the Big Apple for the start of the leader-level debates at the General Assembly of the United Nations. His UN agenda is laden with meetings on subjects close to his heart, climate change, gender equality and sustainable development. He'll also take part in a roundtable with former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton on the virtues of inclusive job growth. Russian President Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine is sure to permeate every discussion about economic growth and food security to other Trudeau priorities. Karen Ribot, the Canadian Press. And let's come back north of the border where Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos is expected to table dental care legislation today that will allow the government to send checks to low- and middle-income families to help them pay for their kids' oral health services. Rob Westgate has that story. 
The benefit for qualifying children under the age of 12 is the first phase of the government's larger dental care ambitions and a key element of the Liberal Party's supply and confidence agreement with the NDP. The government will pay families up to $650 per child per year, depending on their household income. Families will have to apply to the Canadian Revenue Agency and attest that their child does not have private dental insurance, that they have out-of-pocket dental expenses, and that they will keep their receipts. The government hopes to begin sending out checks by the beginning of December. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. And while we're talking about federal politics, some new polling data shows that the Conservative Party of Canada has maintained its popularity through its leadership race. Stephanie Taylor looks at the numbers. Leger released findings today from its latest survey on the voting intentions of Canadians, one year after the Liberals were re-elected to form a minority government. The data shows if an election were held today, 34% of respondents would vote Conservative, as compared to 28% who would vote Liberal. The survey paints a different picture, however, when it comes to who Canadians feel would make the best Prime Minister. It shows 24% picked Trudeau, over 21% who answered Polyev, who recently won leadership of the Conservative Party in a landslide victory. Stephanie Taylor, the Canadian Press, Ottawa. And let's turn to climate change for a couple of stories where Hurricane Fiona is barreling towards the Turks and, Turks and Caicos Islands after causing damage in Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic. U.S. National Hurricane Center specialist Lisa Bucci says the storm is bringing very strong winds. We can expect, you know, the maximum intensity of Fiona while it's over at Turks and Caicos to be anywhere between uh, 115 and 125 miles per hour. Forecasters say Fiona is expected to hit the islands this morning. Puerto Rico could be without power for days after Fiona rolled through. Reporter Victor Aquando has more from Salinas, Puerto Rico. All the rain that accumulated on Puerto Rico's mountains that had to go somewhere, it came sliding down. It caused a lot of damage. There's, there's debris on the roads. It's not impassable like it was after Maria, but it's still a problem. The U.S. National Guard has rescued more than 900 people as floodwaters continue to rush through towns in the eastern and southern part of Puerto Rico with up to 760 millimeters of rain in some areas. And looking at some of the tracking data, it is anticipated that Fiona may roll through Atlantic Canada this weekend. Currently, it's a Category 3 storm. It's unknown whether or not uh, it'll maintain that kind of force as it moves up the coast, but certainly Atlantic Canada bracing themselves for the possibility of a hit this weekend. And let's finish in Mexico, where buildings shook as far inland as Mexico City after a magnitude 7.6 earthquake struck off the country's Pacific coast. Reporter Alex Stone says at least one death is blamed on the quake. According to the Mexican government, one person was killed as a result of the quake. A wall reportedly fell on them. Another person was injured. There are reports of power outages and some health care buildings on the west coast of central Mexico being impacted. There was a brief concern about a tsunami along Mexico's west coast. The shaking was felt strongly throughout the region. The earthquake struck on the anniversary of two deadly quakes that hit Mexico in 1985 and 2017. Let's get to our daily polls. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Excess... No, I got it wrong again. Another $2, $24 in the overall bin now. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. I'm telling you, this muscle memory in my tongue and my brain, they say do something for 10,000 hours, you become an expert at it. I gave the Twitter poll information for 10,000 hours and it's absolutely mushed my brain. 
at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. On Monday, we asked you, what's your favorite kind of fundraiser? And feel free to shout out a charity or nonprofit in the comments. We had 33% of you say a concert or a show, 17% of you say a sporting event, 50% of you said other. We had a comment from Tammy on Facebook said, hey, I want to give some love to the Red Kettle for the Salvation Army. Today's Daily Poll relating to our top story of the day at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. The Canadian economy experienced another month of deflation on prices. Do you expect businesses to lower their prices, yes or no? I uh, am deeply cynical, and this is a Captain Obvious question. I don't expect businesses to do a darn thing. They're going to keep gouging away at us because that's just how they be. They've shifted the Overton window. They've decided this is the new price. You are not going to see a deflation at the grocery store unless we figure out some kind of way to uh, mass boycott them. But I don't think that's in the cards. Alex Smythe, what do you think? Yeah, Dave, I'm 100% in agreement with you. I don't foresee any business, any uh, um, kind of Retailer lowering their prices for any foreseeable reason anytime soon, especially since it's like the uh, we're just starting to get uh, um, the inflation under control. We're starting to see the decrease now. This is way too early for uh, immediate action to be taken on the the side of businesses. You know, they've set that price. They have it at a a level that now they're just going to be making more money on every item that they sell because the inflation uh, percentage is going down. So maybe come, you know, late fall, early winter, you might start to see some like big sales on, on certain items. But I, I think across the board, you're not going to be seeing just a blanket uh, level of prices dropping. You oh, know, I, I think we're we're stuck here at the same spot. Oh, they'll find some excuse to make sure prices can yeah. go up in the fall and winter. Don't you worry. They'll still say, <laughs> oh, the year-over-year inflation is still 6.7%. And even though we raised our prices by 15% in the summer, don't you worry. We'll find a reason. There's some kind of economic supply chain issue that we're going to make sure that we can keep drilling you over and over and over again. And please keep blaming the government. That's the key. Keep blaming so, the government. So don't blame us. cynical. I'm so deeply cynical. cynical. Here comes Comrade <laughs> Brown here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, Eliza, what do you think? Eliza Rocco, what do you think? I am maybe not as cynical as you. I, I which have... is which is difficult to do. <laughs> I have a, a glimmer of hope uh, for these prices, but I have to say, once businesses raise their prices, I don't think they're going back down. I don't think there's a very high chance. I think there, I have that glimmer of hope. You know, maybe, maybe. But probably not. I, I know I painted with a broad brush. I'm sure there are some businesses that are going to be very receptive to the idea of fluctuating their prices. Sometimes it's out of their control. But I'm talking all mass and generalities. No way. Yeah. No chance. <laughs> uh, Eliza, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Thank you. You can vote on this poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Let's go back to Alex, who has the national weather updates. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in St. John's, Newfoundland. It's cloudy with a chance of showers this morning, then becoming a mix of sunny clouds later. A frost warning is in effect and it's a high of 15. In Halifax, Nova Scotia. Drain with possible thunderstorms this afternoon and up to 20 millimeters expected with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 13. In Montreal, Quebec, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain and a high of 15. In Ottawa, Ontario, 
It's cloudy with a chance of rain as well and a high of 70. In Toronto, Ontario, it's a beautiful day. It's mainly sunny and a high of 26. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's a mix of sunny clouds with a 40% chance of showers along with possible thunderstorms this afternoon and 25 is the high. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's a mix of sun and clouds with possible rain this morning and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 19. In, Saskat in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's cloudy with rain possible and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 14. In Calgary, Alberta, it's sunny with a high of 16. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's cloudy with rain possible this morning and a high of 16. In Yellowknife Northwest Territories, it's mainly sunny and a high of 14. In Vancouver, BC, it's a beautiful day. It's sunshine and 22 is the high. And finally, in Victoria, BC, it's sunny as well, but with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of 23. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Dr. Sebastian Jodouin discusses DICARP's recent report on the effects of climate change on people with disabilities. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. A new report shows there's little mention of disability rights in national climate commitments and policy. The report comes together from McGill University's Disability Inclusive Climate Action Research Program, otherwise known as DICARP, and the International Disability Alliance. Here to share a few of those findings is Dr. Sebastien Jodouin, director of DICARP. Dr. Jodouin, thank you so much for making time to be a part of the show today. We're grateful. Thank you so much for the invitation. So I'm curious where you were pulling some of this data from and what you were looking for. Yeah, so basically uh, state parties to the Paris Agreement every year have to submit um, communications where they report what they've been doing in the field of climate change. So we basically looked at these reports and from them we extracted all of the framework climate mitigation and adaptation policies. So we were able to comprehensively collect all of the climate policies of all the 192 state parties to the Paris Agreement. And then uh, we were able to sort of look at them, code them, and look at whether they mentioned people with disabilities, uh, their rights, uh, accessibility um, standards and requirements. So I'm on the edge of my seat here because I'm genuinely curious when you're going through that much data, I imagine there are a ton of findings. We could probably be here all day if we read through all of them, but what were some of the key takeaways after that analysis? Well, uh, the key takeaways were pretty disappointing. Uh, basically, we're looking at um, a situation where people with disabilities are systematically being neglected in most of these policies. So when we looked at uh, the mitigation policy, so those are policies where states outline what they're going to do to reduce carbon emissions um, to meet their objectives under the Paris Agreement, we found uh, that uh, less than a third of countries mentioned people with disabilities in any way. Uh, actually, one of the countries that did mention uh, them were Canada, but there was sort of just a one line saying, you know, the green economy has to be inclusive of people with disabilities. And when we're looking at climate adaptation policies, I would say here 
the results are even more disappointing because we know that people with disabilities are disproportionately affected and dying in uh, the context of climate change, including in Canada. Uh, and here again, we found uh, uh, no country, there, there were countries that mentioned people with disabilities, but they're usually just lumped into a list of vulnerable groups. Mm. And we couldn't find a single policy that had actual concrete mechanisms for including people with disabilities in the adaptation planning and involving them in efforts to adapt to a changing climate and avoid uh, the uh, harm and mortality that comes from climate-fueled uh, uh, events. I hope I'm not wandering too far off the pathway here, but were there any kind of obligations laid out in the Paris Agreement that said you have to consider the needs of people with disabilities? So the preamble to the Paris Agreement uh, mentions a number of groups that are more vulnerable to climate change, and people with disabilities are one of those groups. Uh, but actually, the obligation to do something here doesn't really come from uh, directly anyways from the Paris Agreement or the climate regime. It really comes from the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which m almost all of the state parties the Paris Agreement have signed. And that agreement is very clear. Uh, whenever you're developing policies that affect uh, the rights of people with disabilities, you have to consult them, you have to consider their rights. And then there are specific provisions that apply to uh, disaster uh, re responses, uh, and that would obviously cover climate change. Uh, and then, of course, there's uh, provisions that apply to transportation, which is obviously something that's going to be uh, and is being transformed by these climate policies. But as far as we can tell, uh, we can't find evidence of states actually looking at you know, what efforts to tr transform transportation will do for accessibility and mobility of people with disabilities. As we consider the, the lack of, of meeting that obligation or including that obligation within the work they're doing inside the Paris Agreement, I'm curious what are some of the consequences? Do we have any tangible idea of what those consequences may be to not be considering the impact on persons with disabilities? Do you mean for, for the disability community? That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so this is something that we're doing, uh, research that we're doing. So we have, uh, we're doing an empirical study of uh, the climate resilience of people with disabilities um, in a region of India. And this will actually be the first empirical assessment of that, uh, you know, the barriers that people with disabilities face specifically in relation to climate adaptation. But uh, we do have some uh, we can look at uh, evidence that comes out of different severe weather events that are fueled by climate change. Uh, so uh, the example that I can give in a Canadian context is the heat wave that hit uh, Montreal in July of 2018 and the heat wave that heat hit Vancouver uh, last summer. Mm. So when you look at or summer 2021, uh, 2022, sorry, yeah, well, there was there was a heat wave this summer, but the heat dome <laughs> yeah. was last summer. I know at this point yeah. it's hard to keep track yeah. of all these things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Last summer, yeah. So uh, when we look at uh, the different reports that were that were done on the rates of mortality and and what happened in those contexts, what we find is that uh, three quarters uh, of the people who died in these heat waves had disabilities. Um, so literally, people with Canadians with disabilities are dying uh, because of severe weather events that are fueled by climate change. Uh, and um, the responses to those events have just not been um, disability inclusive. So, 
Uh, I can give you other examples from other places in the world, like please, hurricanes. Please, yes, please do. I, okay. I, think, I think this is really something that's misunderstood, right? When we're talking about the impact, the outcomes of the climate change that's already occurring, people don't understand the way in which people with disabilities are being disproportionately impacted. Well, maybe I can also illustrate it through actually a, a sort of a specific population uh, in Montreal. So in Montreal, a quarter of the people who died in this heat wave that killed 61 people, a quarter of them had schizophrenia. So that's a mortality rate that's 500 times greater than their share of the population in Quebec. And so then you have to ask yourself, well, why would people with schizophrenia, you know, why are they more likely to die in this heat wave? So you get to, of course, uh, the fact that they take medication that makes them intolerant to heat. You have these sort of underlying patterns of exclusion, marginalization, and poverty that affect uh, people with schizophrenia and more broadly people with disabilities in Canada. Uh, but then really it's just that the city authorities, they didn't have uh, this population in mind in their response efforts. So they knew that the elderly had to be uh, protected. Uh, they had a plan for, you know, you looked at these guidances around heat wave, they would ta talk about children and they just didn't have um, that population in their planning. So ultimately, you know, I'm a human rights lawyer. So ultimately uh, I will say that the reason these people died is because the city and the province did not live up to their obligations to protect these people. Um, and this is a story we see all over the world. So uh, when it comes to hurricanes, we see uh, disproportionate rates of people dying, uh, people with disabilities dying, because there isn't uh, evacuation uh, or shelter uh, that's uh, wheelchair accessible. There isn't anything planned to move people who might have sort of continuous need for uh, medical equipment. Um, so we we can we see the these patterns over and over again, and it's largely always due tied to the fact that uh, no one was thinking of adapting the responses to the disability community. So that's on the adaptation side, and on the mitigation side, uh, it's also quite concerning what we're seeing, because basically, on the one hand, it's great that we're transforming our cities to finally uh, reduce carbon emissions, uh, tackle uh, transportation um, systems that are dependent on fossil fuels. Uh, but uh, as far as we can tell, this is happening largely without thinking about whether it's creating more barriers mm. for people with disabilities. So um, this is a study we're doing right now in Montreal, and we're looking at things like, okay, bike lanes, these new bike lanes that are being set up how easy are they for someone who's blind to cross? Um, you know, the lowering of sidewalks also, for instance, which is seen as a measure to encourage sort of mixed use of streets, more pedestrian streets, uh, also can be quite problematic if you are depending on sidewalks as a way to navigate uh, the city. Um, we're, you know, looking at car sharing programs. If you go on these car sharing programs, can you get an accessible vehicle. Mm. Uh, the subsidies for electric cars, uh, are there uh, accessible vehicles that are available in, on the market? Uh, so we're asking questions that unfortunately we're noticing that the policymakers uh, and the officials designing these policies have not been asking. And so far uh, we're seeing some pretty concerning results. And the sad thing about this is actually that efforts to transform our, the way we move uh, the way or urban planning and transportation is organized, these efforts could actually be used to uh, make cities more accessible, 
Um, but right now, that's not uh, part of the thinking. So uh, it's mis a real missed opportunity. And instead, you're seeing like uh, uh, you're seeing that it's exacerbating uh, challenges for people with disabilities. Dr. Jordan, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say it's a perfect example of a missed opportunity. It's even things with the electric vehicles, which again, people understand at a broader level is a good thing. There's concerns about the 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 amount the amount of noise they might make, right? That they don't emit as much noise, so someone may not hear a car coming in the same way if they're hard of hearing or they're blind or low vision. So it, like it, it's these little teensy tiny considerations that it seems over and over again every time we take a progressive step in society it always seems like people with disabilities are, are the group that gets left out of the consideration here well you know the the noise of the electric vehicles that's an interesting um, point because actually the reason that they make noise at all is because of blind activists uh, so blind activists in the um, national foundation of the blind in the united states figured out a while back that these uh, motors, which are very silent when they are in the cities, you know, at higher speeds you hear them, but at lower speeds you, they make no sound. They figured out, oh my God, this is a huge risk to us. And so they lobbied the US Congress to uh, make it a requirement that electric car manufacturers have to ensure that the, their vehicles make sound. Uh, and so this is an example, in my view, uh, I mean, maybe you, you might argue it's not perfect, uh, perhaps, but I, I would say uh, this is an example of what uh, people with disabilities can bring to this conversation. Mm -hmm. So figuring out how to make this technology accessible, uh, safe, uh, inclusive for uh, the blind community is actually going to end up saving um, thousands of lives, right? So the mm -hmm. children crossing the street, uh, the person who's who's not paying enough attention. Uh, so I, I, there's lots of examples that I like to cite of how we can design things in a more accessible way and actually get more uh, people being able to benefit from and contribute to uh, the transition to uh, a low-carbon uh, world. I will never argue about something not being perfect because I wholeheartedly believe in that perfection is the enemy of good. So sometimes we need to put perfection aside just for the sake of a little bit of progress here and there. Uh, Dr. Chaudhry, you and your colleagues are doing a lot of incredible work and we're only just, just, just scratching the surface about this report. We're really talking in broad, broad strokes. Where should people follow the work that you're doing uh, with DICARP or ICA? Yeah, so we have um, we have a website. Uh, it's disabilityinclusiveclimate.org, uh, and we've uh, put all of the research that we've done, but also basically anything that anyone has ever written about climate change and disability, we've posted on there as well. So we are trying to uh, capture uh, as much as possible what people are doing in what is still an emerging area of research and advocacy, uh, and um, we are very fortunate to work with organizations of people with disabilities um, from all over the world, including some in Canada. So we try to reflect uh, that the important work that uh, other organizations are doing at the grassroots. And we also have a podcast um, called Enabling Commons, which is actually just interviews of people with disabilities about the work they're doing in relation to climate change. So that's another useful uh, uh, source of information for people who want to know more about this work and maybe want to get involved. Well, Dr. Jordan, we thank you and your colleagues for all the work that you're doing. It's a no small task and it's a really important one. So thank you for taking a few minutes today to lay it out for us. And hopefully we get a chance to connect with you again down the road. Sure. Thank you so much for the invitation. That's Dr. Sebastian Jodouin.
the director of DICARP from McGill University. And after the show, you can head over to our blog to read the report and find out more about the work that they do. AMI.ca slash now is the address. AMI.ca slash now is the address where you can find that information. Coming up after the break, accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore will discuss the proposed disability support regulations in Manitoba. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index closed up yesterday on broad-based gains, while U.S. markets also closed higher ahead of tomorrow's Federal Reserve decision on interest rates. Toronto's TSX index gained 176 points to 19,562. New York's Dow Jones average rose 197 points, and the Nasdaq added 86. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 120 points, and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 75.40 cents U.S. Can will release its August reading for inflation this morning. The nation's number cruncher reported that the year-over-year inflation rate had slowed to 7.6% back in July. And as gas prices continue to fall, RBC is forecasting the annual inflation rate in August should come in at around 7.2%. And Prime Minister Liz Truss has kicked off her first visit to the U.S. as Britain's leader with an admission that a free trade deal between the U.K. and the U.S. is not going to happen for years. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head into the prairies where the government of Manitoba is calling on the public to hear their thoughts on proposed regulations for its disability support program. Megan Gilmore is an accessibility reporter and joins us from Ottawa to tell you a bit more. Hey, good morning, Megan. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I'm well, Megan. I think I shared some of these details in an accessibility story roundup a couple of days ago, but I need a reminder because this can get quite dense. So what is the act that these regulations fall under? Okay. So in 2019, there were calls from disability advocates to create a a separate income support program specifically for individuals with disabilities in Manitoba. And that uh, was formed more or less about a year ago. So in October of 2021, the Manitoba government passed Bill 72, which is the Disability Support Act and amendments to the Manitoba Assistance Act, which created a separate income support for people with disabilities. Before there was disability support, but it was under the Employment and Income Assistance Program. Now they're like creating a whole separate program that is specifically for disabilities. So what is being proposed under these particular regulations? Right. So in general, these regulations are outlining the the amounts of money that people will get, uh, the asset tests, um, how how you're eligible for this program, right? So it has this definition of disability uh, that includes that the disability must be severe and prolonged, and that there must be an assessment done under this regulation to determine that the disability results in a person experience, experiencing significant barriers to the activities of daily living or full participation in society. Okay, so let's start mm-hmm. talking about some of the reaction here. Let's start on the right. positive side. What are some of the benefits or presumed benefits under these changes? Sure. So first of all, like this 
could be interpreted as the government responding, right, to the needs that people were bringing forward. Uh, there was a grassroots movement in Manitoba saying we need something separate for individuals with disabilities. We get a law, right? So that could be interpreted as a very good thing, right? People are always saying government doesn't listen to us. Well, maybe they did. Um, and then uh, specifically, um, we say the devil's in the details, right? So it is, it can be helpful to have a list of what specifically a support benefit program will look like, right? And this also would contain information about how you would appeal decisions if uh, if you disagreed with something, right? So the, there um, there is a social services tribunal; they they can look at things. So details details can be really helpful for people when it comes to planning their lives. So I think some of the criticism may, may have already even slipped into our benefits conversation, but what are some <laughs> of the great. criticisms that have that have emerged here? Okay. So uh, like you said, there's um, obviously going to be some criticism. So one actually has to do with what the amount of benefits are. And there's... Right, which concern. is like, like that's right. like fundamentally important, that's right? Like, right. It, right. it doesn't matter how much self-determination you give me as a person with a chronic disability. If you're only giving me 800 bucks a month, it's still not helpful. Right, right. So like the question is always, is this enough? So just I'm going to throw some numbers out there. I'll try not to put too many. I know this is a lot. So, for example, when you are being determined to be eligible under these regulations, uh, you are allowed to have liquid assets of up to $4,000 a person or $16,000 a household, uh, just for some comparisons in Ontario I believe actually right now it's forty thousand dollars a person it used to be four thousand and then it got raised thank think no it used to be five thousand they got raised thank lord um and underneath these proposed regulations uh, an, an individual can receive up to five hundred dollars a month in gifts that would be six hundred dollars a year if my income is correct and twelve thousand dollars of annual net income is exempted okay uh right so that's like so let's okay, let's 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 break that let's break that down one more time, Megan. Like you said, those numbers yeah. can get a little bit wild, and like there's yeah. some jargon kind of attached to that. Yeah. So in terms so, of a, in terms of a liquid asset, four thousand yeah. dollars for an individual, sixteen thousand dollars for a household. That essentially yeah. means like cash or stocks and bonds, something yes. that can be translated into like monetary currency on a minute's right notice, right away. Yes. Okay, boom. Yeah. $500 worth of gifts per month. Maybe say you've got a parent or a sibling or someone who's helping you out, giving you $500 a month. That's also, that's also going to be an exempted. And then you also have $12,000 a year of income that can also net be income. exempted, net income, which can be yeah. exempted as well. Right. So that's things that can be exempted. Then when it comes to monthly income support that the government will give you, like the benefits, some of the numbers that are being thrown out here is for us, the income support portion uh, for a single adult, no dependents is $532.04. I always get impressed by the cents that get thrown out. Well, those four cents are critical. Right, totally. What and if you then, want to buy a fuzzy peach at the dip and <laughs> Exactly. What if you do? Uh, and then housing, uh, in the case of a single person, if the cost of utilities is included in the rent, that's $673 a month. So you would add that to the $532.04. So you're still looking at around $1,100, I believe. So you mentioned housing right there, Megan. Yeah. What stood out to you when you read about this information on housing? I think beyond sort of the, the, the bottom line number. 
Right. So, um, and there is a lot of information in these regulations about uh, the bottom line number. The government talks about having this set to like 75% of median market rent. Um, what I think is interesting actually about that isn't necessarily the percentage, it's that it's tied to median market rent. So built into that, there is this assumption that you will always be renting. Uh, so as a millennial, I've kind of accepted that, but um, there is baked into these programs this assumption that if you have a disability, you will be renting your home, you will not be pursuing home ownership. And then second of all, this is an interesting thing to consider when we talk about housing accessibility, like we have several times on this program, in these regulations, the government set the government of Manitoba sets out how much money they believe individuals should get based on the type of uh, dwelling that they say a family of a certain size needs. So, for example, they say that a two-person household with one minor dependent, so think like two adults and a child, should have a two-bedroom apartment. But then they say a household with three or four persons also should have a two bedroom apartment. But depending, I would argue that depending on how an, an actual family unit or household unit looks, two bedrooms isn't enough for three or four people, right? Like what if you have, what if there's a couple and they have two children, but the children are five or six years apart in age? Do, we, do they wanna share a bedroom? Uh, so it's it's this interesting thing if you actually go through the regulations to think about like how a government program like this is what what it's saying about how they think people should should live. And then there's this whole other interesting wrinkle in there where uh, some of the income that's exempted, so um, it won't be counted against you in terms of benefits for determining eligibility. Uh, if you're a foster parent and you're receiving income from the government to help you be a good foster parent, that is exempt. And also a certain amount of income that you would earn if you have a boarder or a renter, that's also exempt. But but I'll, but I just had this question of, but if the government is prescribing how big they think your unit should be, how much are you able to rent? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Megan, I'm going to put these two questions together because we're yeah. inside the consultation period now. So how much yeah. longer is in the consultation period? Then what's the target date for this regulation to come into effect? So the consultation ends on October 30th. The uh, target for the regulation to come into effect um, is still a little unclear, but the next election in Manitoba will be at the latest early October 2023. So uh, there is some hope that this would all be in place before then. Uh, and some people I've heard from have said that uh, some elements of this new program that was created under the Disability Support Act that was passed last year will be rolling out as early as January. Uh, but they, but there's also concerns about um, how eligibility is going to be determined and all mm-hmm. those things. But uh, yeah, so we have about a year at the far end of it, it sounds like. Yeah, the fact that there's like an evaluation of your disability attached to this regulation, I can see that's going to create some major, major speed bumps and road bumps along the way here too in terms of a rollout. Megan, we're talking here about an income support provincially, Mm. but we know this is timely from a national perspective. What's What's coming down the pipeline today? Right, so today, according to the House order paper, the Canada Disability Benefit will be coming up for second reading in the House of Commons. Traditionally, how this works is something goes to second reading and then it goes to committee. So uh, we may we may find out, Dave, if there's more details. We might. 
This could happen. <laughs> we may. We may find details. Details we may. It's a possibility. We can we can live on the edge of our seats. Uh, okay. Megan, I should warn you, we're like a teensy bit tight for time here, but you've got a okay. story about some travel nightmares that you wanted to share. <laughs> you got about two minutes. Lay it on me. Okay, so you may have been seeing some news reports about terrible service that people or non-service people have received on airlines recently, wheelchairs being damaged, the whole thing. Uh, I was on Via Rail last night. I have, I've always had great experiences with Via Rail Canada until last night when I was supposed to leave Union Station in Toronto at 5.30ish. I was sitting in an area marked for, I was told it was for pre-boarding. I went and I did my pre-boarding. I was sitting in my chair, very proud of myself for having found my chair. A man comes up to me, says I'm sitting in his chair. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is car five. Uh, we compare tickets and he informs me that I'm actually sitting on a chair heading to Windsor, not to Ottawa. That's the other so, way. Yeah, that, that is the other way for all you not in Ontario. So, um, yeah, I was I took pre-boarding and I accidentally got pre-boarded on the wrong train. Um, yeah, and then I got to get moved to another train and then they like, were like, oh, we'll upgrade your ticket. That will make it all better. And I was like, I just want to go home and sleep. Did like, you did you get on your actual 530 train though or no? No, no, because it left. Like we cut, we I, so my fellow passengers were very helpful. Got me off the train, and we got off the train in time to see my five thirty train leave. Ha, huh. lovely. Yeah, yeah, it was really, great. Really lovely day. Uh, Union Station is a nightmare. It's oh, not. It's it's, it's not as bad as Pearson Airport, but it's bad. Union yeah. has got to be one of the one of the worst train stations in the in this in the country. And listen, I've been to the Vancouver train station. I've been to Montreal. I've been to other major train stations. Union's bad, man. Everything in yeah. Toronto is bad. This city is like, honest to God, the worst. Like Toronto stinks. I know people say, oh, it's the center of the universe. It's culture. Blah blah blah. It's the worst. Every major institution in this city stinks. So this is just a reminder that municipal elections are coming up next month. If you would like to write in Dave Brown on your municipal ballot in Toronto, you could do that. The world of municipal municipal politics is not ready for me. Megan, thank you for this. You're welcome. Have a good day. That's Megan Gilmore, an accessibility reporter. And you'll hear from Megan next week on the show as part of uh, these new roundtables that we're doing. But in the meantime, if you want to follow Megan on social media, on Twitter, you can follow her at Megan Gilmore. That's M E. A-G-A-N-G-I-L-L-M-O-R-E. I like the way Andrika spelled this out for me in the script with dashes. That's well done, Andrika. You get a $2 fine retracted for doing such good work. At Megan Gilmore on Twitter. M-E-A-G-A-N-G-I-L-L-M-O-R-E. Coming up next, Dorothy McNaughton will tell you about this year's Doors Open event in Sault Ste. Marie. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head into the Great Lakes to catch up with community reporter Dorothy McNaughton in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Hey, good morning, Dorothy. Good morning, Dave. Dorothy, speaking of the Great Lakes, you recently traveled to Manitoulin Island, an island on Lake Huron. Here you are cheating on Lake Superior like that. Before you tell me more about the trip, I'm curious to know what, how the island did in terms of its accessibility as a tourist destination. Did you find it to be relatively inclusive? I would say yes, relatively. I mean, I guess the big 
this issue is it's smaller communities. You know, there are some areas where there's gravel or sand. Uh, someone in a wheelchair to get around. Um, and and there may be some locations that don't have uh, an elevator or lift either, that kind of thing. They're very small communities and it's mostly tourist uh, oriented. So beyond that, tell me about your trip. Where did you go? What did you like? What did you experience? <laughs> oh, we, uh, we stayed with my son and his wife and our two granddaughters in a trailer. Um, and, and the trailer park is very close to Lake Huron. I guess what surprised me was how loud the waves were. We could hear them, uh, you know, because it was windy and rainy often. Um, and so during that storm, you, it, it sounded like waves from the ocean. It, it, and that, so that part surprised me. Um, we, we drove all over that in the island to Minamoya and Gorbay. And Gorbay is very pretty. It's got a, a lovely marina and, uh, you know, it's not many places. I mean, there are lots of places in the interior of the island, but there are lots of places right on the shore. I was there too. Um, so we, we just had a lovely time uh, driving around and having a nice visit. Hey, hey, Dorothy, uh, you're having some Skype issues there, a little bit of breakup on the internet connection. We're going to call you on the phone, and I'm going to fill oh, a little dear. bit of time here. So no, 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 need to, no need to give us a full-blown, oh, dear, it's okay. These things happen. It's the internet. Sometimes we don't control the interwebs. Yes. There's hurricanes spinning all over the continent. It's okay. So, Dorothy, give us one second. We're going to hang up on you. We're going to call you back on the phone, and I'm going to fill just a little bit of time here talking about Huron County, because Huron County is one of these gems of Ontario that I don't think the rest of the country has quite figured out yet. I've got a dear friend of mine who grew up in Blythe, Ontario, which is going through a little bit of an economic renaissance with a couple new businesses that have opened up recently. That's only a couple kilometers from the actual coast of Huron County. Gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. In the summertime, the beaches, looking out onto Lake Huron, my goodness, it's almost like you're in the Riviera or you're beautifully down there in Mexico and like the Mayan Rivera with turquoise water, just like lovely, lovely stuff. It's to the point that we're talking to Dorothy here about something on Huron County, and I almost don't want to talk about it because I don't want you to know. I want to keep Huron County as my own special little secret because I haven't been yet. So I don't need you Torontonians moving out there and ruining another place. Let's come back to Dorothy McNaughton, who we've now reconnected with on the phone. Dorothy, I, I know that I'm I know that I'm teasing a little bit there, but as you're describing it, it just sounds so gorgeous, Manitoulin Island. Oh, it is. And I, again, I think it's a hidden gem. Uh, a lot of people don't know it's the biggest freshwater island in the world. It's quite a size. And the other thing that my husband told me um, is the Niagara Escarpment goes underwater and all the way up. And so there are hills there, and that's actually part of the Niagara Escarpment. Oh, my gosh. See, just gorgeousness. Mm -hmm. And here we are telling people about this hidden gem, and now they're going to ruin it, Dorothy. The the venture capitalists are going to go in there and start building condos just like this. Uh, Dorothy, let's uh, jump back into Sault Ste. Marie before I say more bad things about Toronto. I said some nasty stuff in the last segment, too. Uh, there's a really cool opportunity. Usually this time of year is when a lot of cities offer up their doors open events, where there's a lot of opportunities to experience things around the city that you might not typically get a chance to put your feet into. So why do did this event catch your interest? Well, I was involved with the Doors Open event years ago. Um, and 
they've had trouble recently finding people to organize it. Um, and I went into some really neat buildings. So I was delighted to find out they were doing it again on Saturday, October the 1st from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And some new places, uh, you know, that, that haven't been available before. So what are some of those places here, Dorothy? You've got me on the edge of my seat, the tip of my toes. <laughs> well, the first one that I really want to see, it's called, it's called the Shingwalk. Uh, I, I don't know if I'll pronounce it correctly. Uh, Kinamaj Gamig Center, and the, sometimes they call it the Anishinaabek Discovery Center. It's across from Algoma University. It's a new building, and it's designed to look like um, an Anishinaabe longhouse with a with a barrel vaulted timber roof. Even from the outside, it's an interesting looking building. But apparently. It's really fascinating on the inside, and it, it's become a center for um, studies for First Nations students and others. And, and there, I didn't realize there is a degree program in First Nations studies that's offered there. So that's one. Um, the other thing is, um, I've been to the Old Stone House many times, and I've talked about it here, but there is a building there called the Block House, which was moved from down by the canal up to the, the property where the old stone house is, and I've never been inside that. Oh, cool. So, yeah, and that was built in 1821. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> the other one is called Bishophurst. It's it's the Anglican uh, diocese uh, home, and so someone actually lives there, um, and it was built in 1876. So uh, those are my three top picks. <laughs> mm, mm. You know, Dorothy, this was something that I think I was really spoiled about while I lived in Ottawa, was just the amount of museums and historical buildings that you were able to take tours of. Like the number of times that I went into Rideau Hall, I like I, I can count on two hands, which is a lot going into the Governor General's house. Like that's that's pretty cool. Like those tours mm-hmm. are just generally open to people. It's really neat when you get events like this that allow people to sort of pull back the curtains on their own cities. Yes, and they have some uh, tours virtually for some of them, so it's a really good idea to go to the site um, for Doors Open Ontario, and I know you'll put that link up on the blog, um, because uh, you can get a sense of what they're doing at each different site, so there are quite a few of them, and uh, which ones have virtual tours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That will definitely go up on the blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, uh, because, yes, the actual address that we're referring to here is like four lines of uh, script in my script here. Yes. So we'd be here all day if I tried to read that one. But I will remind folks that the actual day of the physical doors open, Saturday, mm-hmm. October the 1st, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So uh, that's not even going to interfere with college football too much. You can be part of the 10 a.m. <laughs> hour and then go find a pub at noon to go watch the game. So that works for everybody. Uh, Dorothy, let's wrap up where we always like to wrap up, and that's the Northern Ontario and Rural Get Together with Technology session. What is the next topic of focus and who is the guest speaker? Well, it's uh, Albert Thiessen and and it's going to be apps for people with vision loss and, you know, interesting apps, but um, newer apps because it's really hard to keep up with uh, what's been added. Uh, so that's going to be really exciting, I think. And I mean, I'm I have a new phone, and I'm looking at maybe putting some new apps on it. Um, so uh, it's it's tonight actually mm-hmm. at uh, 7 p.m., which is our usual time, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and anyone can join. Even though it says Northern Ontario and rural, it's for anyone across Canada. 
Wow, tonight, see Dorothy keeping that packed agenda here. We're going to give the contact information here like we do every time because pe- this 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 GTT stuff is really, really good, especially for people yeah. who are more novice-oriented on technology or even intermediate. Mm-hmm. It's a great opportunity to learn more. So GTT at ccbnational.net. That's GTT at ccbnational.net. And it's our, Kim, it's our friend Kim Kilpatrick who runs that one. Dorothy, just before we say goodbye mm-hmm. to you, you said you got a new phone. What did you get? <laughs> I got a Google Pixel 6, and it's um, a little bit of a learning curve. I had a Samsung before, so it's Android. So mm. I'm getting used to getting used to things being different. Yeah, I've, I've been a Samsung user for years, Dorothy, and I do get mm-hmm. occasionally tempted by those Google phones because they're a teensy bit cheaper, and they apparently are quite good, but I'm also afraid of that learning curve. Well, I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you're smarter than me, Dorothy. That's the problem. I'm I'm a oh. dodo when it comes to technology. I don't go to the GTT events like you. Well, I'm not sure. You know, I'm just I'm a facilitator. I learn too. No, I I'm not. <laughs> I'm not great with technology. That's why I like those. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dorothy. All the best to you. Have a great day. Enjoy the GTT session tonight. Thanks so much. That's Dorothy McNaughton, community reporter in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And, of course, if you do want more information, you can always visit the blog, ami.ca slash now. That's ami.ca slash now. Coming up after the break, I have the regional news update, and Brock Richardson will stop by for a sports chat. Three marquee NHL defensemen announced their retirement this morning. So Brock and I will react to that one in real time. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv, or maybe you're listening to the entire show, the full show edition of our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. If you do download the podcast, if you do miss a show live, don't listen to individual segments. Listen to the full show. Oh, sure, you might get a weather report that's a day old. Who cares? Get to hang out with Alex Smythe. It's a good time. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, September the 20th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show. Oh, we've got a news quiz for you. I'll be hosting. Karen McGee will be here. Alex Smythe will be here. And so will Andy Frank. It's going to be a good one. I can tell already. In fact, I've got the questions. Being the quiz master is fun because I've already got the questions here just hanging out beside me. And I brought a pen, brought a pen with me today so I can actually keep score properly. See, your boy is improving. We all evolve or we go extinct. <laughs> Let's begin the hour with the regional news update. A sentencing hearing is expected to begin today in a BC courtroom for a Dutch man convicted of extortion, harassment, and distribution of child pornography endured by years by a teenager before her death in 2012. Beth Layton has more. Aidan Coban, who was in his 40s, was extradited from the Netherlands to face charges linked to the years-long online torment of Port Coquitlam teen Amanda Todd. She was just 15 when she died by suicide 10 years ago, and although Coban was not charged in her death, he was convicted last month of the unrelenting cyberbullying that led to it. He is already serving an 11-year term in Holland for similar online abuse against 34 other girls and five gay men. 
Todd's mother, Carol Todd, is among those expected to deliver a victim impact statement during a four-day sentencing hearing in B.C. Supreme Court in Westminster. Beth Layton, the Canadian Press. And let's move into the prairies, where penalties for stunt and street racing in Saskatchewan will rise sharply next month. Starting October the 1st, the cost of a ticket for stunting in a motor vehicle increases from $150 to $500 plus four demerit points. And the ticket for street racing will jump from $205 to $580 and will escalate for repeat offenses within a one-year period. The provincial government promises that vehicle impoundments for racing and repeat offenses for stunting, which already exist, will be bolstered and with seven-day license suspensions that will come into effect at a later date. Over to Ontario, where a constitutional challenge of an Ontario law that caps public sector wages increases at 1% begin began last week and is back in court this week, with the province making arguments yesterday. Groups representing hundreds of public sector employees challenging Bill 124 say the law has taken away meaningful collective bargaining, thus violating the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The province argues the Charter protects only the process of bargaining and not the outcome. And finally, we end up in the Atlantic. I'm stealing a little bit of thunder here from Alex Smythe before his weather reports, but a frost advisory has been issued for all of Newfoundland and Labrador and parts of New Brunswick extending into Wednesday. Environment Canada says temperatures in Newfoundland are expected to go down to minus 2 degrees overnight Tuesday and into Wednesday morning for most areas. It says parts of New Brunswick, including the Acadian Peninsula and Edmonston and Madawaska County and Miramichi will see temperature dips to zero. The weather agency says patchy frost is expected to form as light winds coincide with cool temperatures, especially in low-lying areas. Gotta get the toque out, gotta get the mittens out, gotta get the fall coat out. My friends have this theory that cold weather feels colder coming out of summer because our body haven't, haven't adjusted yet. There's probably some science to that, but uh, I don't know. It's going to be 26 in Toronto today and I'm, I'm already sweating. Let's bring in Brock Richardson. He's here for the Sports Chat. Brock, every day we think we have a plan for this sports chat and then a bunch of news breaks on us and we have to make some pivots. We, we're going to deep dive into baseball today and now baseball's being pushed down to the back end of this report. Let's start in the hockey world. Three very notable retirements of NHL defensemen have come across the wire in the last 12 hours. We just heard that P.K. Subban, former Montreal Canadiens defenseman, is going to be retiring. Zdeno Chera of Boston Bruins, Ottawa Senators, and I guess... Washington Capitals fame announced his as has Keith Yandel so this is a probably an example of a legend a very good player and a good player all saying goodbye on the same day yeah you know the first thing that came to my mind when I saw all of these retire well two things the first one was that wow I guess I'm getting older because most of these (laughs) players I grew up watching and I always thought to myself you know growing up watching hockey I'm like Oh, I don't know this player very well. But now I'm starting to be like, oh, I watch this guy. I watch this guy. I watch that one, too. And it's just like, that's crazy. And I don't want to get any older, but I guess I am. All in the <laughs> Father and, time is undefeated, Brock. And, and sports reminds me of that. And the other thing that I caught my eye was on the news release um, for uh, Chara and P.K. Subban specifically. The news release had them in a Montreal Canadiens jersey and a Boston Bruins jersey, Mm, respectively. And, mm. of course, that's not the teams they either of them ended with. But I think in both cases, 
those are the teams we remember them being with um, because the longest serving time with both of those clubs. And just it's it's amazing to just think that, you know, time has come where these guys are going to retire. And Zdeno Chara is a big, big athlete. So Boston's going to miss or not Boston. Pardon me. See, I just did it. Um, but the, the, they're going to be missed because they're such big. Uh, big presence uh, in their in the game, and and you can't find people as big as Zdeno Chara, mm-hmm. I believe, and and you're gonna miss that in in the game of hockey. Zdeno Chara is a no doubt in my mind Hall of Famer. Like there's absolutely not a single doubt in my mind that Zdeno Chara is going into the Hockey Hall of Fame for his length, the length of his career, the Stanley Cup that he won, and all those competitive teams that he played for over the years. In terms of Subban and Yandel, they're probably more notable for some other achievements. In Subban's case, his charitable work off the ice is just remarkable, remarkable, whether that be the work that he did in Nashville or the, or the wing of the Children's Hospital that he built in Montreal. And in the case of Keith Yandel, people forget this was the Ironman leader. This was the guy who played the active Ironman streak. He he held it for a long time in the league. It now belongs to Phil Kessel, but Keith Yandel was one of these guys who was never necessarily the best defenseman on his team, but he was always one of those contributors, a third or fourth guy who did a lot of things for his team, and he was very, very consistent. I'm stealing a Jeff Rymanism there, but it's it's one of those things where you say, it, it's, it's like we're closing the book on a certain generation of hockey as we enter this new generation. And And what's the first thing we talk about in hockey? We talk about the goal scorers. We talk about, you know, the flashy Connor McDavid's. We, we talk about the, when you, when you're a notable defenseman whose job is literally to keep the puck out of the net and, you know, block shots and all that, and you can still be talked about and known, I think you're doing something pretty good. And all three of these defensemen are very, very good and change the game in their own way. And to your point about what you said about uh, PK Subban, uh, I would rather be known as the guy that did things charitably versus, you know, an athlete. I think I think that's kind of cool to be more known, not necessarily as a Hall of Famer in the sport, but a Hall of Famer in your charitable work. I think that's really, really cool. Of course, to go into the Hall of Fame would be cool nonetheless, but I think you can you can sort of tip your cap to the fact that, listen, he's done a lot of charitable work. And I think other players have piggybacked off that since he's done it because I remember him being kind of the first guy that I went, wow, he donates so much of his contract. And since then, it just feels like other athletes have followed in the same sort of shoes as time's gone on. Yeah, absolutely. Brock, how long before we see a PK Subban on either Hockey Night in Canada or a TSN hockey broadcast? How long? You think one year, six months, three weeks? I think you'll see him on the trade deadline somewhere. And then you'll see him slowly embark. And I would hope that it's going to be with one of the uh, Canadian markets, as you point out. I don't care which one. I watch both. Not going <laughs> to deny it, but I don't think it's going to be very long. I think you'll see him from the trade deadline onward. Yeah, I think it won't take long to get PK into one of those booths, and he'll probably do an excellent, excellent job. Brock, let's uh, move over to football. There were two Monday night football games last night, which, by the way, I love. They should make that a full-blown policy. There should be two games every Monday all season long. I liked it a lot. Neither of the games proved to be particularly competitive with the Eagles beating the Vikings 24-7. I don't even know what the final score in the Bills-Titans game was. What, 41-7 or something? 41-7. Yeah, yeah. So neither of which were competitive, but they were both entertaining, which again goes back to my theory that I was expressing to you yesterday. I don't know what it is about football, but I will find entertainment when it's presented to me. 
Yeah, Josh Allen uh, and Stefan Diggs are just such a pairing that I could just get a whole bunch out of. And just watching those two work is a lot of fun. Um, uh, Matt Matt Mourinho is uh, an unbelievable. He had a pick six uh, that he that he did yesterday, which is amazing. This is a defensive guy, and Buffalo's defense yesterday. Just as the game got further and further out of reach, it just felt like their um, their defense just got more and more active. And this is where they're going to hang their hat on on uh, on is their defense. And you know, Dave, you know how I know that uh, Buffalo people love their Bills. That's because they closed the schools a half day yesterday around the stadium. <laughs> Why to help avoid the traffic? Like that's crazy. The Bills mafia is real. And it's uh, it's it's crazy. The other game, uh, Philadelphia had lots of time of possession. I, you know, it's kind of a captain obvious statement when I say that time of possession means that you're going to win the game. But there was nothing really flashy yesterday. They just kept the ball and they just ran the ball and a little bit of yards here, scored touchdown here, and you know they kind of just chewed away the clock. And when you do that as a team, you're going to have a better opportunity to win because. It doesn't matter whether you win 41-7 or, or a nail-biter. As long as you have the ball more than your opponent, you're probably doing a good thing. And that's the thing that kind of stood out to me yesterday in the other game. I see your captain obvious take, and I'll raise it to another level. Minnesota did have a number of scoring opportunities, and they kept turning the ball over. Kirk Cousins threw three interceptions in the second half, all of which when they were in the scoring zone even if he doesn't throw those picks and they just kick three field goals and all of a sudden the score of the game is 24-16, we would have had a competitive fourth quarter. But Kirk Cousins, turnover machine, just kept throwing the ball to the other team, which is something he's known to do in primetime games. But uh, Minnesota will just keep chugging along there as a team that's mediocrely in the middle because they have a mediocre quarterback with an amazing group of weapons around him. Brock, you've been banging on the table now for a week saying, Dave, we need to talk about these rule changes in baseball. Dave, we need to talk about these rule changes in baseball. Brock, I'm finally giving you the opportunity. Lay out a couple of these room, uh, some of these rule changes, and then we can, uh, and then we can get uh, your, your take and my thoughts on them. Okay. So let's go with the pitch clock. When there are no runners on base, you're looking at uh, 15 seconds. When there are runners on base, you're looking at 20 seconds. Each batter will get one permitted timeout per plate appearance there is no more shift uh there has to be uh you you have to stay on each side of your field and your feet have to be planted on the dirt when the pitch is thrown and you can only throw over three times at a base if you throw over the third time then you need to get the runner out if not then it's considered a balk and we move the runners along. Then the other notable thing, which I wasn't too big on because I didn't really notice the difference until one of my colleagues on the neutral zone pointed out something which I will point out in a second, but 15 inches in the bases versus 18, I wasn't really, I was just kind of like, yeah, whatever, bigger base, less injury, etc. And Claire from the neutral zone pointed out to me, yeah, but the larger the base, the more you're going to steal because guys are going to feel like it's easier to get to just by making it a little bit bigger. And I, and I thought, oh, okay, I see that point. I think still the, the bases being large 
is is the lesser of these rules. I'm curious what you think and which one you're kind of yay on and others that you may not be uh, happy with. I'm pretty much yay across the board. Baseball games take too long. I, I love baseball. Baseball's a timeless sport. There's some merits to uh, sitting there for three and a half hours watching the game go by, but there's nothing like going to a game live. I went to one a couple of weeks ago where the Blue Jays got up and down. It was Russ Stripling on the mound, who's, by the way, pitching for them tonight. Uh, He was just getting the Baltimore hitters up and down, up and down, up and down. The game started at 3.07. We were walking home by 5.07. I'm telling you, Brock, if we can get baseball games down to about two hours and just overall speed up the play none of this 30 40 50 seconds between pitches less of this throwing back to first base 19 times during an inning all of this stuff is going to make for a better flow in the game is it going to make the game harder for pitchers and defenses of course it is but you know what people love brock offense offense yeah 100 percent. and and you know what this is the kind of thing that that we all look at and we say you know the, the traditionalists are going to scoff their nose at it and say, oh, you're changing too much of baseball. Yeah, but look at your age demographic. It's people that are over the age of 55 being your, your main demographic. And that's that's just not, you know, not enough. And, you know, I just think you need to be more appealing to the younger generation. I don't mind sitting through a baseball game, but I wouldn't mind it if at night when I'm watching the game, if it was done in two, two and a half hours so I can go on to watching, you know, nonsense TV shows that I often do. But <laughs> I'm sure but your, I'm just, sure your wife would appreciate that, too. Uh, yeah, I'm sure she would. I'm sure she would. But, yeah, I, I, I like all of these changes. Again, the one that I was kind of meh on was the bigger basis. But, again, if you can look at this and say, well, I'm going to save injuries, you know, especially when guys step on ankles and, and things of that nature, you don't want to see that. And the more individuals can play in their craft, the better it is for the game as a whole and overall. Brock, give me a quick thought here. The Blue Jays embarking on an interesting series tonight, beginning in Philadelphia against the Phillies. A couple playoff teams, a couple wildcard teams, and some interleague play. Could be a fun one. Yes, it could. And you mentioned earlier, Ross Stripling uh, getting the start. I love watching this guy pitch. What if it wasn't for Ross Stripling? You know, where would this team be with the injuries they've had to Hanjin Ryu and others in the in the pitching staff? This guy is just Mr. Consistent. And uh, I feel like I'm, you know, spouting out the broadcaster's curse because I, you know, I hope that, <laughs> that things, uh, things don't go a different way. But, you know, I, I think that Romano is... Um, is going to be okay, you know. You're he, talking about the closer blew, Jordan Romano who blew a save uh, yes, last Jordan, weekend. Jordan Romano. And I and I think you saw that people uh, people got a little panicked. Well, he's been like Iron Man in the closing role. And and you can't expect that out of a guy every, every, every day, believe it or not. And I know Jordan Romano would probably hit me for saying this. But the guy is entitled to a hiccup. And I believe that the pitching staff will be okay. You need to take care of business because you've put yourself in a in a good position against these teams. Now you just need to keep the ball rolling. And you are in a good position to host the wild card, which is what you need to do mm-hmm. because playing playing three games at home versus on the road are two very different things. And I hope that tomorrow we're not talking about Ross Stripling, <laughs> you know, laying an egg because of what I said, but we'll see. Well, let me put the, let me put the broadcaster's curse the other way. Cal Gibson, who's pitching for the Phillies tonight, is one of these guys who's just a great 
grinder of innings. Some games he's good, some games he's bad, but my goodness, he's one of these starting pitchers who will just eat five, six innings a game every game for the Phillies. He's uh, really fun to watch as well. So it should be a good pitching battle tonight in Philadelphia with the game starting at 6.40 p.m. Eastern time. So a little bit of a different start time. Adjust your schedule accordingly. Brock, thank you for this. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. That is Brock Richardson. He is at the AMI Sports Desk. The Toronto Blue Jays taking on the Philadelphia Phillies tonight at 6.40 p.m. Eastern time on Sportsnet. You can find Brock at the Sports Desk. You can find Alex Smythe at the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, Clouds are clearing this morning, and as Dave mentioned, a frost advisory is in effect in a high of 17. In Charlottetown, PEI, clouds rolling in and rain expected later this morning with a high of 17. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's rain and possible thunderstorms expected with upwards of 25 millimeters of precipitation. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers an hour as well, and 13 is the high. In Quebec City, Quebec, it showers on and off all day and 13 is the high. In Toronto, Ontario, it's beautiful, mainly sunny and a high of 26. In Saint, Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds and a fog advisory is in effect in the morning with the 25 being the high. In Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly sunny with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers an hour around noon and a high of 19. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain this afternoon and wind gusting up to 60 kilometers an hour as well with a high of 15. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds and possible rain early this morning with a high of 13. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds and possible rain early this morning as well and a high of 14. In Whitehorse, Yukon, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a high of 18. In Kelowna, BC, it's sunny, it's beautiful, and it's a high of 21. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's sunny as well, but 22 is the high. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Nelson Rago will tell you all about a new assistive robot for physiotherapy. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring in the founder of Cool Blinds Tech, Nelson Rago, to talk about assistive technology. Hey, good morning, Nelson. Hey, good morning, Dave. So, Nelson, let's begin in Singapore, going all the way across the Pacific, where researchers have created the Mobile Robotic Balance Assistant, a wearable robot that presents falls and assists in physiotherapy for the elderly. Nelson, that's what it is. How does it work? Uh, it's, uh, it's basically it's uh, mounted around the uh, user's hips, and it uh, uses sensors to detect uh, uh, the balance of the user. And um, if the user uh, happens to uh, uh, possibly uh, fall or looks like they may fall, it has a uh, safety harness that will catch uh, the user uh, around the hip area uh, to keep them uh, from uh, falling over. Um, <clears throat> it also has a um, machine learning uh, feature 
uh, that can actually uh, predict uh, if the user is going to become unbalanced. And uh, it's got a, a deep sensing camera that's mounted on there as well uh, to uh, predict uh, any movements that uh, may happen or they um, might jeopardize the person from falling. Nelson, your hips are probably a little bit different than my hips that are different <laughs> than somebody else's hips. Is this <laughs> one size fits all? No, so so they have uh, three models. Um, it's a uh, it's uh, primarily based on weight. Uh, so the first model, uh, it will handle someone up to uh, eighty kilograms, and I think it's one hundred seventy five pounds, uh, and then one hundred twenty kilos uh, for someone that's one hundred sixty five pounds. And then they have um, another unit that's uh, it's uh, designed for more uh, dexterous uh, movements. Uh, so they they have three models. So it should handle people of different sizes and. Um, and uh, handle um, you know the people of different ages as well. There's been some testing done here. What have the results of the testing been? Yeah, so they uh, they tested twenty uh, sorry <clears throat> twenty nine users, uh, some of which um, had a dramatic uh, brain injury, uh, spinal cord injury, and even stroke. They did it over a three uh, day time period uh, for each of them, and um, they took them through tasks where uh, they would sit down, stand up. Uh, walk around, and even uh, fetch uh, a cup of water, uh, allowing them to, uh, um, you know, just do like daily routines uh, uh, safely. So, and uh, the good news is, uh, is that, uh, um, you know, there was no falls in this uh, trial period. And um, yeah, it seems like a really cool idea. So 29 folks were involved in the testing here. We can certainly see where there'd be a need for a product like this. Are there plans from these researchers in Singapore to commercialize this device? Yeah, uh, so, so they're, they're working on uh, securing four patents. Um, and they've also uh, uh, reached out to some industry partners uh, who have interest in applying this, uh, and, uh, this product. Uh, and they're looking to release this product uh, sometime next year. Right on. Well, Nelson, let's go from the world of robotics to something maybe a little more familiar for folks, and that is their iPhone. And we're always talking about captions on this program, the importance of offering those kinds of captionings for folks who may like it. So you're going to tell me, if I had an iPhone, how I yeah. could enable live captions. I keep bringing you iPhone stories. Sorry. That's <laughs> I'm going to okay. give you an Android no, story No, no, that's all right. You can share all the iPhone <laughs> stories you want. I can, I can do my Android <laughs> stories for the people. Uh, so, so, uh, basically, uh, if you have iOS uh, 16 and this only works if you have, uh, an iPhone, uh, 11 or later. Uh, so, so uh, you have to keep that in mind. If, if you have an older device, you're not going to see this option on your phone. Um, it's going to allow you to, uh, uh, get live, uh, captioning and it'll work with, um, uh, videos. It'll work with, uh, music. It'll work with podcasts. Uh, FaceTime calls and e even your phone calls, uh, it says it'll work with. Um, they do mention that it is in, in beta mode as of uh, September this month. And uh, it's only for uh, English Canada and English US. Uh, so <laughs> uh, we're one of the lucky few to get this uh, release, which doesn't happen very often, usually uh, US only. Um, so so that's uh, that info for those users. Uh, so once you have that device in iOS 16, uh, you can go over to uh, your settings and accessibility, and under there you can uh, toggle on uh, live captioning, and it even allows you to customize it where uh, you can use it on a specific app. So if you don't want it on, on every app in, in your phone, you can customize it there. Uh, you could change the text uh, size, you can change the, uh, the the font, 
Uh, you could even change the color if you want. Um, and then gives you the option to change the background of the uh, of the text box. So uh, once you got that all set, uh, you can go over to something like uh, you know YouTube, something that has audio, and then you'll start um, showing you the uh, the text box uh, while the uh, uh, the audio is playing. And uh, the cool thing is uh, for those who can see, um, you can actually uh, take your finger and kind of move it around the screen so it's not in the way of what you're trying to view. And then um, you know once you're done with it, once there's no audio, you'll have like a little bubble in there. Uh, that's floating around. You can actually also move that around to get that out of the way. Uh, so that's pretty much it for uh, live captioning for iPhone um, and for iPhone 11 and higher. So it's a, it seems like a cool feature. I haven't tested it because I have an older iPhone, um, but uh, you know, from what I hear, it uh, it seems to be working fairly okay. Uh, they do mention that uh, not to rely on uh, live captioning since it is in beta. Uh, but it's worth testing if you have uh, the right device for it. Yeah, iPhone iPhone 11 or later and iOS 16. Give it a spin, give yes. it a whirl, see if you like it. Hey, Nelson, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. That is Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech. Coming up after the break, we'll bring in Nizreen. We'll bring in Ramya. We'll bring in Alex and have ourselves a roundtable chat. The winner of the Polaris Music Prize was announced last night. I'm going to ask the fundamental question... Are we in a golden era of music and don't even know it? This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We'll bring in Ramya, Nisreen, and Alex in just a moment to talk about a story from the entertainment world. But allow me to set up the news story for you first, just so we're all on the same page. Pierre Quenders has won the 2022 Polaris Music Prize for his album, Jose Louis and the Paradox of Love, the Congolese-Canadian's third album, was selected for the $50,000 prize based on artistic merit. Quender says his mom deserves so much credit and will get a chunk of the prize. The first thing I'm doing with the money is give my mom the percent that she deserves. My mom is a single mom. She raised me by herself. She made a lot of sacrifices. She didn't believe that I could do it in music, but still trusted that I got the God to do it. Quenders says the whole Polaris process is a tribute to the quality of Canadian music. Being part of the top 10, being part of the shortlist of the Polaris, and having all these different genres, you know, it's like a, it's a melting pot of a lot of things that happens in Canada. But also it is a good representation of Canada. So I feel honored to be part of it. And to have one, it's even a greater honor. The album Jose Luis and the Paradox of Love blends Latin Afro beats with an electronic sound. I would call it sort of an indie Montreal electric sound, but that hard to define that for you. And then we'd be here all day if I'm trying to define what constitutes Montreal indie electric music. Let's just say synthesizers, lots and lots of synthesizers and bright bright sound, bright, happy sound. Let's bring in Nizreen Abdelmajid, Ramya Amuthan, and Alex Smythe to talk about this. Guys, I don't imagine that you've listened to the album this morning, but I want to ask you a broader question because I read the story last night. I found out that he won. I had I didn't know who Pierre Quinders was. And on the way into work this morning, I listened to the album and I thought, 
yeah, that was pretty good. A couple months ago, when Kendrick Lamar dropped his new record, we had a nice roundtable conversation talking about that album after it came out. And even a band that I love, Death Cab for Cutie, put out a wicked album last Friday that I've been listening to all weekend long. It's got me thinking, Ramya, do we actually live in a golden age of music and don't quite know it? Because like things are so spread out in the way in which we can experience music that we're almost mm-hmm. unaware of how much great stuff is out there. Yeah. Short answer is yes, Dave. And it's exactly what you're pointing out. I think that there's a lot of availability to listen to whatever you want, whatever you like. It's not just about what's Hopping, right? Like what what's on the radio, what's getting the actual attention by uh, critics and all that anymore. You could just go and listen to anything anywhere and you don't even have to share really what you listen to all the time. So um, for those of us like me, I, I tend to go back to throwbacks whenever I want to because it's just available all over my you know Spotify and streaming. Uh, I tend to miss out on what's new, what's getting the attention and what everybody else thinks is new music, new and upcoming and all that stuff. Nazreen, as a professional DJ, I know you're all over these trends, typically speaking. You and I have talked about the explosion in African hip-hop that's made its way into North American eardrums, largely as a result of streaming services. I've been listening to a lot of Ghanaian drill rap. I can't remember, who was the artist who uh, who, who sold out Madison Square Garden? You did a couple of What's Trending segments about him. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the name, but does it feel like perhaps we're in this golden age of music and we're almost blissfully unaware of it. I feel like it. it we are. And I'm going to add to Remya's comment is that it's not just what's on the radio. There's so many platforms that we can listen to all these new upcoming songs. And it is memorable. I mean, these lyrics are memorable. And I feel like that's a big thing for the Golden Age era. Um, so looking back, I mean, yeah, I do love my throwbacks but the new songs now it's just getting more attention i mean what's trending what's not trending on tiktok everybody is just using every genre every everything that's um new and upcoming it's it's just spreading everywhere and it's not even just social media i mean everywhere you go you're listening to these songs i feel like yeah i i think we are Alex Smythe, what say you? Does it feel we're unaware of the fact that we're in a golden era of music? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of mixed on this. Uh, I, I, I'm a bit of the Luddite, kind of like you are, Dave. Like, I'm, I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on some of these other uh, kind of social media platforms, especially when it comes to music like Spotify. I don't have a Spotify account. So that's kind of the new model in which music is getting released. I would say there is a greater range and diversity in the styles of music we have now more than any other time but i think when you look at specific genres like i'm i'm always uh i I love my rock i love my metal i love my hard uh music i i find you're not seeing the same level of bands that are really gaining the same uh notoriety the popularity that you know you, you would have gotten in in the 80s 90s 2000s because it's so diversified now and that everyone's doing it independently, doing it their own way. So while there may be a wider range of music, I don't think you're getting the bands that necessarily get to that same level. Now I'm I'm speaking more uh, more focused on on kind of the rock perspective because that's that's what I follow. That's what I listen to. You're you're now getting, as you mentioned, you no know, Death Cab for Cutie. They've been around for a while. You're getting these legacy bands. Now the legacy bands are changing. It's no longer 
you know, necessarily Metallica and things like that, although they're still around. It's the the last generation or the generation I grew up listening to. A lot of them are kind of getting those gray hairs. Maybe they're not touring so much anymore, but there's not really the new bands that you can look forward to be like, oh, they're going to be the next big thing that are going to be global phenomenons, especially when it comes to rock. I find it interesting because Ramya and Nazreen, you guys both used the word throwback. Alex used the word legacy band to discuss Death Cab for Cutie, which is making me feel like fossilizingly old in real time. But it makes fine. me old too, Dave. That's it a... makes me old too. <laughs> but, I love them as well. But part of that is is the word was popularity there. So Ramya, I'm curious if I can get your thought on maybe what we're talking about here, where it seems like the Katy Perry's, the Beyonce's, the Death Cab for Cuties, even to a certain degree, the Harry Styles or the One Direction gang these are older groups or older acts that seem to be cutting through in regards to the popularity on the popularity side does it feel like maybe the popular has become so popular that 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 shiny golden music that we would love to be getting our ears on is maybe harder to get to maybe but i think the reason why the the popular stays popular is because of the way that music was released and the way that people got popular celebrities got popular in the past right it's not necessarily the same way that it's happening now like as nizreen pointed out uh if i'm on if i'm scrolling through tiktok and i hear you know that everybody's using this song as their uh backdrop their audio backdrop to their tiktok posts then i'm like oh I guess this is a trending song. There right? once I guess was a man a who hit the sea and the name of the ship was the Billy Orty. <laughs> oh my God. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little period of uh, sea shanties. Can we yeah, go back but to that? then again, but you know, when Beyonce, when uh, Katy Perry, like all these people you're throwing out, uh, when they were getting popular, it's because they were topping the charts. That's not necessarily why mm. people are getting popular now. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Nazreen, a thought in regard to the way in which perhaps maybe the top end of the industry, and I'm going to throw more names out there, like Taylor Swift, who again, we would think of as a modern act who's actually been around for like 14, 15 years, mm-hmm. same thing with like yeah. Rihanna, where maybe they're still taking up so much of that oxygen that even when we get these little breakthroughs, these bursts of a new artist like DaBaby or Lil Baby, by the way, there was like a riot in Vancouver last night at a DaBaby concert, but we're just not going to bother talking about that today because yeah. what are you going to do? People are going to people. Because um, <laughs> despite the theory in Woodstock 99 documentary, people will still riot at a concert if given the opportunity. Sorry, uh, d- d- I, I, I digress. Uh, Nazreen, any thoughts in regards to the way in which the popular might end up actually sucking up some of the oxygen, thus keeping maybe the nine or ten artists that we saw in the Polaris Prize shortlist from actually being kind of recognized more broadly? I mean, yeah, I feel like I agree with that, where we look at Taylor Swift, for example, 14, 15 years how crazy is that? But back in the day, it was always about the billboards, top 100. That's that's when you know an artist is popping. And I think now it's it's crazy how it it's so different and how they popped right now. But um, yeah, I just I always end up thinking that Taylor Swift, One Direction. Uh, uh, what other artists are coming up to my mind right oh, like now? Just, Jason like, just, like, like Justin Bieber, Jason, Jason Derulo. Derulo. But but all right of it, now. But all of this stuff is like. Sorry, go ahead. Continue. Sorry. No, I was gonna say like till this day he is always trending on TikTok. I mean, and this guy has been around for how many years? And uh, it, it's still impressive. I still think that, you know, they're still making new, memorable 
poppy, popular music, mm -hmm. uh, it, even though they were still popular back in the day. So I don't think it, they're, the new music is sucking on more spotlight. But yeah. Yeah, last week we were talking about the Grammys and the Emmys, the Oscars, the Tonys, sort of the big award show and how they operate as tastemakers. If I want to offer one concluding thought here for folks in the age of digital distribution of music, whether you get it through YouTube or Spotify or Apple Music or imagine you still go buy albums. <laughs> I can't imagine uh, those of you who still do that. But I just want to say that if you are looking for some guidance on quality music, especially of the Canadian persuasion, the folks at Polaris do incredible, incredible work. So don't be afraid to head over to the Polaris website, the Polaris Music Prize website. Check out the short list. Check out the long list. There's an opportunity to really get your hands and ears on some really neat music from some really cool artists and because these these prizes are decided uh, in the case of the players is not based on album sales it's based on quote artistic merits again whatever you want <laughs> to deem what that means exactly what that subjectively means it just means you're going to be listening to something different and it's really worth your while even if you don't like all of it i assure you there's something you're going to find that you like nazreen i say goodbye to you thank you Thank you. Alex, I'm only partially saying goodbye to you because you're coming back for the quiz in a couple of minutes, so no need to say goodbye. But Ramya, before I say goodbye to you, you're going to tell me what's coming up on Kelly and Company this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Wellness with Frances Wong, and she's bringing us tips for staying healthy as we move into the fall season. So there might be reasons why you feel like it's a harder season to get into, but she's going to give us some tips. Uh, Revolution Her is celebrating their 12-year anniversary in style this year by breaking their own record and selecting 35 top finalists um, rather than their usual to be in the running for the 2022 Revolution Her Awards. And we're going to learn about this with founder and CEO Maria Locker. And we have our voices segment coming up today in the show as well. Mark Aflalo, who you oh, we may know Mark. have heard about. We know yeah, that right? guy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He wears many hats on AMI, especially now with our video podcast and things going out. So anyways, he's joining us on our um, voices segment to talk about his love for radio. Right on. Mark Aflalo. He's the king. Ramya, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. That's Rami Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly & Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, it's the weekly news quiz. I get to play quiz master. It's a lot of fun. Stay tuned, because now with Dave Brown, we'll be right back. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's Tuesday. We're wrapping up the show. Let me put on my announcer voice as we get ready for the weekly news quiz. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the weekly news quiz on now with Dave Brown. Let's welcome in our contestants from the banks of the St. Lawrence River in Morrisburg, Ontario. It's Karen McGee. Good morning. Karen McGee. From the happiest place on earth, North York, Ontario, Don Mills Road, down the hall, it's Andy Frank. It's awesome to be here, especially with Karen McGee. Karen McGee. I don't know anything geographically relevant about Burlington, Ontario, so I will simply just say hello, Alex Smythe. It's between Hamilton and Toronto? <laughs> I, I don't know. 
<laughs> All the natural beauty of Burlington, yep. Ontario. All right, guys, let's get down to the rules of the game. We have three rounds of questions, three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. It's very mythological. If you answer the question without hearing this, the options, you get two points. If you hear the options and get it right, you get one. If you get it wrong, we move on and on and on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants was drawn by producer Paul Daniel, as were the questions. So the order will be Karen, Alex, and Andy. So let's begin with Karen. Which man claimed his cell phone was taken by U.S. federal agents while he was in a drive-thru line at a Hardee's restaurant last week? It's the My Pillow guy. I can see his face. What's his name? I only ever call him My Pillow. Word I can't say on radio, guy. Um, <laughs> by the way, we're on TV. Uh-huh. <laughs> I sorry, yeah, we're on TV. I'll take the choice and I'll know it as soon as I hear it. It's really bugging me. Was it Andrew Cuomo, Mike Lindell, no. or Matt yes. Gates? I was going to say Jim Lindell, but I knew Jim wasn't the right first name. So that's a point for Karen McGee. Karen, I was almost going to give you the two points for saying the My Pillow Guy because in the script, Paul Daniel wrote Mike Lindell, aka, AKA the Pillow Guy. But uh, oh, why did she get st- two points? Mm, I, I think I should get two points. I AKA so. means mm. that's his name. I think Come that's on, Paul Dave. just messing around in the script again. I'll that's almost a, almost a two dollar fine for Paul for that one. FBI agents questioned Lindell about his ties to the tampering of the Colorado voting machines in the 2020 election. Question number two, going to Alex. Roger Federer announced his retirement from competitive tennis last week. He won 20 Grand Slam tournament titles, including a record eight at which event? Um, Man, it would help if I uh, paid attention to uh, the Federer strats. Uh, You know, I'm just going to go and uh, do a stab at it. Uh, Let's say the French Open. That is incorrect. Moving over to Andy Frank. Andy, do you want the options or do you want to take a stab at this? I'm going to go U.S. Open. That is also incorrect. Oh. Karen McGee, do you want the, do you want the options or do you I want to take a stab? Wimbledon. You Karen, Wimbledon. Karen McGee gets two points for seeing Wimbledon Boys. without hearing the options. Well done. Federer won eight singles titles at Wimbledon. He was the most dominant male player of the 2000s, winning 12 Grand Slam tournaments titles over four years. Andy, question number three, coming to you. Former security head Peter Zatka appeared before a Senate committee last week to discuss widespread security flaws at which social network? I will take the options, please. Your options are Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. I'll say Twitter. That is correct. Andy Frank on the board with one point. Zatka told lawmakers that the social media platform is plagued by work Weak cyber defenses that make it vulnerable to exploitation by teenagers. Oh, no, not the teenagers. Thieves and spies and put the privacy of its users at risk. Pesky teenagers always coming for us. Children are the future unless we stop them now. Moving over to round two. But before we get there, Karen McGee in the lead with three. Alex holding up a bagel of a zero and Andy on the board with one point. But Alex, here's your opportunity to get on the board with the first question of round number two. Which island was hit by a 7.6 magnitude earthquake a week ago, killing at least seven people and damaging a university? Oh, geez, we, we literally had this on the uh, – uh, I'm, I'm blanking. Can you give me the options? Your options are Fiji, Papua New Guinea, or Tonga. 
Um, Papua New Guinea. That is correct. Alex, on the board. The initial earthquake was followed an hour later by a 5.0. Ooh, I don't know where that came from. 5.0 magnitude quake. Andy, question number two of round number two coming to you. Last week, Colin May was removed as chief of this province's Human Rights Commission following an order in council issued by the provincial cabinet of which province was Mr. May, chief of the Human Rights Commission. Choices, please. Your options are Saskatchewan, Newfoundland and Labrador, or Alberta. I'm going to go Saskatchewan. That is incorrect. Karen McGee. Newfoundland and Labrador? That is also incorrect. Alex Smythe. (laughs) Alberta. That is correct. Alex's old province of Alberta. The cabinet order contained no reason for the decision or comment from the provincial justice minister. The move comes after May's newly hired legal representation tweeted he would not be resigning. Calls for May to resign came after questions were recently raised over words he wrote about Islam in a 2009 book review. May had been appointed to the position as human rights chief in July of this year year question number three of round number two going to karen mcgee billionaire yvon chouinard has given away which company to a set of trusts and not-profit organizations that will use the company's profit to combat climate change patagonia that is correct two wow. points for karen mcgee beginning to run away with this thing after three rounds patagonia a three billion dollar retailer of outdoor clothing was established by Schwinar in ventura california in 1973 and i know there's a lot of fans of his and patagonia wear all out there so very neat to see that one after two rounds of play we have karen mcgee with five points alex Smythe with two points and andy holding down the fort with one. But Andy, you get the first opportunity in round number three to turn your fortunes around. What film won the People's Choice Award at the recently concluded Toronto International Film Festival? I'll need the options, please. The options are The Fablemans, The Policeman, or Bros. I'll go with the first one. The Fablemans is correct. The award went to Steven Spielberg's autobiographical or semi-autobiographical tale of a younger, movie-obsessed youngster. The film stars Paul Dano, Michelle Williams, Seth Rogen, and Gabrielle Labelle. Andy Frank, I can tell you were slacking and listening to your own programming yesterday because that was in the Globe and Mail today. Just saying. Asleep at the switch, as always. Asleep at the switch. It's because you were hanging out with some guy named Dave Brown on the weekend. It makes us all a little sluggish on a Monday. Sure does. (laughs) Including Dave Brown. Uh, Coming over to Karen McGee for question two of round number three. The the brother of a former product manager for which cryptocurrency firm pleaded guilty to what U.S. prosecutors have called the first insider trader case involving crypto? Oh, I'll take the choices, please. Your choices are Coinbase, Kraken, or Bittrex. B. That is incorrect. Kraken is incorrect. Alex, was it Coinbase or Britrex? Uh, I'm going to say Coinbase. That is correct. Alex Smythe with three points going into the last question of round number three. Alex, if you can swing for the fences here, you can tie up this whole operation and send us to a tiebreaker. So the question is, Jean-Luc Godard, a pioneer of the French New Wave film era, died last week at the age of 91. He revolutionized cinema in 1960 by directing which feature film as his debut? My gosh, Paul Daniel going deep on this last question. Oh geez! How uh, how how how, uh, how familiar are you with French New Wave with cinema, French Alex? French New Wave, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> once upon a time, maybe. Uh, 
Yeah, early 20s exploring new media. I'm just stalling at this point. Uh, I, I need the options. Uh, oh, my gosh. The options are The Wages of Fear, The 400 Blows, or Breathless. Uh, the Wages of Fear. That is incorrect. Andy Frank, how familiar are you with French New Wave cinema? I think we're in the golden age <laughs> of French New Wave cinema. So I'm going to go with Breathless. That is correct. Andy Frank finishing up at three points. The tie with Alex. The movie starred Jean-Paul Belmodo as a criminal with Jean Seberg as his girlfriend. Obviously one of the great films of all time history. And uh, as we always say to the good people of France who make films, a good looking person smoking a cigarette is not a movie. Uh, Let us (laughs) announce our winner, which is back to her glory, Karen McGee. That's what happens when you watch Uh, We have a minute here, guys. Do you guys know the rules of the tiebreaker? I will read the question. If you yell out your name, you get first crack at answering this, even though Karen has already won, but maybe she can further pad her lead. The National Basketball Association suspended Robert Sarver, the owner of which team, for one year and fined him $10 million following investigation into workplace conduct. Dave. It's the Phoenix Suns. Alex. Alex. Yeah. I already said it. I'm giving myself yeah. the two points, even though I have the script right in front of me. This, but I, yes. this is highly unusual behavior for a quiz host. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I know. Slightly, attract, slightly no attractive. Yeah. Can you imagine Bob Barker giving himself the showcase <laughs> prize at the end of the prize? <laughs> and I won myself a jet ski. <laughs> yeah. And like, two I mean, Barker's be beauties. Great to see him on the- it would be great to see him on a jet ski, I will say that. That's true. Yeah. I, I, it would be more of a weekend to Bernie's vibe now if we put Bob Barker on a jet ski. Uh, Karen McGee, congratulations again on the win. Well Thank done. You. Thank you. Alex Smythe, a good effort. I know you picked up your first win last week and you came close this week. Well done by you. Thank you. And Andy Frank, we always appreciate you joining us down the hall. Enjoy the other side of the building where there is indeed air conditioning. I, I, I'm getting some kind of a consolation prize, am I not? <laughs> you get the heck out of here. Okay, <laughs> that's perfect. <it. laughs> that's Andy Frank. That's all the time we have for the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.